if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This morning's message is <clears throat> a, really it's a continuation of last week's message. Um, last week we, we talked about the struggle uh, within the Corinthian church and that they had made a huge mistake. And that this mistake that they made was that they were in competition with each other. Instead of, you know, our theme this year is striving together for the, for the faith of the gospel. And instead of striving together, they were striving against each other. And there was strife, there was division within the church, there was, there was uh, jealousy and conflict, and those two things caused a great rift between the people of the church, and there was, it was, it was, it was not a friendly, Christ-centered church. It was a confrontational church that they were more concerned about their little groups that had taken shape. Look at, look at uh, verse three. First uh, Corinthians chapter three and verse three. He says, "For ye are carnal, and um, for whereas uh, there is among you envy, strife, and division, and ye are carnal, or excuse me, uh, 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 are ye not carnal, and walk as men?" See, Paul uh, pointed out that because of this strife and division that was in the church, Paul calls them two things. He calls them in verses uh, one and two. He calls them childish. And then he calls them carnal. And we can honestly say that that is quite an indictment of the, of the church at Corinth. I want to look at a couple things this morning, uh, concepts about teamwork that is essential when we are to strive together for the gospel. <clears throat> The first one I want to talk about is being competitive. Uh, in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, And if a man also strive for mastery, yet is he uh, uh, not crowned except he strive lawfully. In other words, uh, competition can be a good thing. And, and, but, but if he doesn't do it within the boundaries or the rules of the of the game or the sport or whatever you want to call it, then he will not receive the crown. And oftentimes com competitiveness is a good thing, but it can be a bad thing as well. Um, one of the reasons that I have lost interest in professional sports uh, over the last several years is because of competitiveness out-of-control competitivism, if that makes sense. The other day, I, I, I bet you this year, this football season, I've collectively, I may have watched 10 minutes of football collectively this, this year. The other day, I, was, I, I had a little bit of time, and, and I thought, you know, let me see if there's a game on. And so I turned on a game. I don't know who was playing. It doesn't really matter. But anyway, there was a football game on, so I thought, okay, I'll, you know, I got a few minutes, I'll watch it. So I started watching this football game, and this guy takes off running, and the, the quarterback throws the football, and he makes this incredible 
catch. And he runs into the end zone. And he starts beating his chest. And, and, oh, look at me, look at me. Boom, 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 you know, and all this stuff. And then he starts mocking the other team. I thought, what a jerk. You know, I thought, what is the point in that? You know, now granted, the guy did make a good catch, okay? I, I give him that. But my point is this. There were 10 other guys on his team that made what he did possible. And we can become so competitive, and this is what the Corinthian church did. They had become so competitive that everything became about them instead of the team. There was a time in college football, so some of you that are older will remember this. <laughs> there was a time in college football, if somebody scored a touchdown and they spiked the ball or they jumped up and down, they were penalized because it is a team sport, not an individual sport. And those days in our country are long gone. But anyway, that's one of the reasons I have just kind of given up on professional sports because of the competitivism. Being competitive is different than cooperation. See, the player that ran into the end zone and beat his chest and all that stuff totally forgot about the other 10 people. We need to, as a church, be a team. It's not about any individual. It's about Grace Baptist Church collectively reaching people for the cause of Christ. Charles Osgood, I read this story uh, recently, and I, th I thought, wow, this is, this is really cool. Charles Osgood told the story of two ladies that lived in a, a convalescent center. Uh, each of them suffered uh, incapacitating strokes. Margaret's stroke uh, left her left side restricted, while Ruth's stroke damaged her right side. Both of these ladies were accomplished pianists but had given up hope of ever playing again. The director of the center sat them both at the piano and encouraged them to play a, a solo piece together, one using the right and one the left. They did so, and a beautiful friendship blossomed. See, that is cooperation. That's teamwork. And I, I love the picture that Charles Osgood gives us here. In our passage this morning, Paul, we're, we're going to look at two principles this morning that Paul gives us uh, uh, in verses 5 to 10. Uh, two principles that I believe go along with the title of my message this morning. The title of my message this morning is The Vision of Striving Together. What should the vision of striving together look like? Now, it's easy to say, 
you know, Grace Baptist Church needs to cooperate and work together, but how does that work? Well, Paul helps us with that. In order to understand the vision, though, you need to, re- you need to remember that there was strife within the church. You have to understand the conflict that was going on. So what Paul is trying to do is he's saying, look, I know that there's conflict in your church, but this is how you need to move forward. Let's start reading in verse 5. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos has watered, but God giveth the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth is one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For he, excuse me, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. You have been so good to us. And I pray, dear God, that you would help us catch the vision of striving together. Help us, dear God, to see and to know things this morning that we've never seen before and help us to grow and to be more like you. We love you and we thank you for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, Paul and and Apollos were two very different people. Now, you know, they say opposites attract. You know, I'm going to pick on my wife and I. Uh, my wife and I came from two absolutely, totally different backgrounds. My wife grew up in the deep south in a very different kind of household. I grew up in L.A. You know, I, I mean, it just, it just, I mean, you can't get any different than 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 this. And Paul, Paul and Apollos were no different. Their personalities were different. Their backgrounds were different. Education, their strengths, their weaknesses, and so on and so forth. Let let me tell you a little bit about Paul. Paul was born as Saul of Tarsus. Excuse me. Uh, He he was from the area that is modern-day Turkey. That's where he came from. He was schooled as a Pharisee under the, uh, the Jerusalem religious leader Gamaliel. <clears throat> uh, he became a traveling missionary and preacher in the early church. Um, uh, well, before that, um, he was responsible for the death of hundreds, if not thousands, of Christians before he was saved. Uh, after he was saved, God changed his name from Saul to Paul. 
Uh, he worked as a tent maker. Uh, he was in prison multiple times by the Roman authorities uh, for his religious uh, beliefs. Uh, he wrote several theological letters. Many of them uh, are make up the New Testament. And he died between 62 A.D. and 64 A.D. Let's look at Apollos for a minute. We don't know as much about Apollos, but we do know that he was an, from Alexandria, and he was a Jew from Alexandria. Again, two totally different worlds growing up in. In Acts chapter 18, we read that uh, of him being discipled by uh, Aquila and Priscilla. A couple of things that we do know about him is that he was very knowledgeable about the Scriptures. He, he, he had rhetorical skills. He had a fervent spirit. He had a boldness about him preaching the gospel. And that he was a member of the first century church. Two very different people. Both of these men had, had shared the gospel in Corinth. Both of these men had, had walked the streets of Corinth and had shared the gospel with the unsaved. Both of these men <clears throat> had seen people converted to Jesus Christ. And praise God for that. What the, the problem was that the, the Corinthian believers had failed to realize that both of these men had contributed greatly to the Corinthian church. And they, they viewed these two men as being in competition with each other. That's why, that's why some would say, hey, I, I was saved by Paul. And the others would say, well, I was saved by Apollos, so we're better than you are. And, and they became competitive instead of cooperative. And they failed to realize that both of these men, Apollos and Paul, both contributed to the church and they actually complemented each other. They didn't compete against each other. My wife and I have been married for 39 years. I am. I am. Whew. She's not, but I am. <clears throat> 39 years. Have we successfully maintained 39 years of marriage by competing against each other or cooperating with each other? What we've done is we've, we have taken each other's strengths and weaknesses and we've incorporated them into a, a relationship where we complement each other. And that's what Paul and Apollos were trying to do. But the people of the church understood it to be com competition instead of competitive or, or instead of cooperation. Within a local church, there is a lot of things that need to be done. And hopefully, no one ever at Grace Baptist Church thinks that they're in competition with anybody else. We should be in cooperation. In Romans chapter 12, verse eight, uh, 4 to 8, it says, For as we have many members in one body, 
and all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one member one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the uh, proportion of faith. Or minister, let us wait on uh, our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. uh, He that uh, showeth mercy with cheerfulness. You see the cooperation that takes place with should that that should take place within the local church. So point number one, finding common ground. The vision of striving together starts by finding common ground. Look at verse verses five through eight that we read just a few minutes ago. It says, uh, "Who then is Paul and who is Apollos?" but ministers by whom ye believe, even as the Lord giveth to every man. I have planted and Apollos watered, but God giveth the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Finding that common ground is essential to to the vision of striving together. Now, I want to stop here and kind of kind of get us focusing on something here. Finding common ground is all about working on horizontal relationships. Is it possible that you get along with every person that you ever meet? (laughs) It'd be nice, wouldn't it? But the reality is, we don't always get along with everybody. But the idea here of finding common ground is finding that one thing that you can agree on. And within the church, that one thing that we can always agree on is should be Jesus Christ. And if we keep that at the center of our horizontal relationships then we're going to be okay. Paul uses himself and Apollos to try and teach cooperation within the church. So letter A, we are to be servants. We are to be servants. Look at verse 5. He says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? You know, he's saying, you guys keep saying, hey, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos, but who are we? We are nothing. 
We are nobodies. We are servants. There is nobody at Grace Baptist Church who is important, more important than anybody else, including me. And Paul says, he, he, says, he says in verse 5, Who then is Paul and Apollos but ministers? The word minister there literally means to be a servant. And not just a servant in the sense of being a slave, but the lowliest of servants. More specifically, the ones who do the menial tasks that no other servant wants to do. So Paul, what's Paul saying? He's saying, who, who is Paul and who's Apollos? We're nothing but just lowly servants. Look at verse 6. For I have planted Apollos' water, but God gave the increase. What, what did we do? We just walked around telling people about Jesus. Now, I'm not a farmer, okay? I, I, I just told you, I grew, up in, I grew up in a concrete jungle, okay? I don't, I, have, I don't have a green thumb. I have a black thumb, okay? I, I do. I don't grow anything. You come to our house, anything that's green is my wife's fault, not mine. And, and every spring, it never fails, We've been married 39 years for, for, for 38 springs. She likes to go to the, to the store and buy plants. Ashley's over going, mm. Ashley, in this sense, is my daughter. Okay? <laughs> and she'll, she'll come home with a pot, and she'll walk around the yard, and she'll set it here, and I'll, I follow her with the shovel. And she'll, she'll set it here and she'll turn it. She'll step back and then she'll pick it up. And she'll move it. And then finally she'll say, put it here. And I dig a hole. <laughs> stick it in the ground. But she's taught me I got I to gotta break up the roots. You know? she, she won't do it. She's like, don't forget. Don't forget. Okay. All right. There. Got it. That's it. That's it. Teamwork. And then, uh, and then, and then, and then, what do I do after after I get it in the ground, or all six of them? Then I go get the garden hose. Okay, I'm all done. You know, now again, I'm not a farmer by any stretch of imagination, but planting and watering ain't that hard. Making them grow is what's hard. I don't do that. You know, my wife for weeks afterward will get miracle grow and this this thing and that thing and she'll put it out there and and she makes them grow. I can plant and I can water, that's about it. There's nothing to it. And what and what is Paul saying here? Saying, look, there's nothing. I just plant and I just water. It's God that gives the increase. Jesus is our greatest example. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came uh, not to be ministered unto, 
but to minister. The word there again, what do you think that word minister means? Servant. Did I not give you this verse? Sorry. <clears throat> Matthew 20, 28. Uh, even as the Son of Man uh, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister or to be a servant and to give his life a ransom for many. See, Jesus Christ did not come to be ministered to, but came to minister. And the greatest example of that is at, at the Last Supper by washing the feet of his, his disciples. Letter A, we are to be servants. Number Letter B, we are to we are we are connected. Excuse me, we are connected. Look at verse eight. He says, "Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one." We are connected. These two men were working in the same field. They were trying to accomplish the exact same thing. They were trying to produce the exact same harvest as a church. That should be the exact same goal of Grace Baptist Church. We are, we, we are to be connected by Jesus Christ. We should not be in competition with each other, but connected and working together. There's a lost world out there that desperately needs Jesus Christ. And then let her see. We are rewarded. Look at, let's continue reading in verse 8. And he that planteth, and he that watereth in one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his labor. Now I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be here very long, but I do want to say this. God sees everything that you do for the cause of Christ. God sees it. But let me say this. He says he sees everything that you don't do for the cause of Christ. It's a two-sided coin. Hebrews chapter 10 and excuse me, chapter 6 and verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward his name and that ye have ministered to saints and do minister. God doesn't forget what we do, but he also doesn't forget what we don't do. So, finding common ground. Point number two. Finding support. Finding support. Look at verse 9 of our passage. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Finding support. Now, okay, we talked about this a few minutes ago. Finding common ground has to do with our horizontal relationships. 
Finding support has to do with our vertical relationship. This is our relationship with God. Here Paul shifts from teamwork amongst the fellow church people to having teamwork with God. Verse 9 again, For we are laborers together with God. Now, I, I don't know about you, but to me that is an incredible concept. That I would be working with God? Think about that. Just as, just as Paul is saying, you need to cooperate and have teamwork horizontally, the same is true vertically with God. The fact that God would want to work with me is an incredible thought. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things and whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. God has a desire to use you and me. And it is only going to happen when we work on that vertical relationship. Verse 10, Paul makes an, an incredible statement. When I first read this, I thought, wait a minute. Did you just say what I... And I had to go back and read it. What is... What I, you're probably thinking, what did he say? Well, in verse 10 it says, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, he calls himself... He, 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 Paul refers to himself as being a wise master builder. And I thought, wait a minute. Time out. Just a couple verses earlier, you were saying that you were nothing. You, you, you said that Paul and Apollos are nobodies. But now you're calling yourself a wise master builder? What's up with that? Then I went back and reread the verse. Paul here is very careful to point out what and who gives him the ability to be a wise master builder. Look at verse 10. According to the grace of God. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. See, Paul, what Paul is saying here again, I'm nothing, but because of the grace of God, I am a wise master builder. Praise God. Why? Because Paul had that proper vertical relationship. Paul worked on the horizontal, but he worked on the vertical as well. Paul here is painting an incredible word picture in, 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 in this, these two verses. And I, I hope and... and my prayer is that this morning I'm able to communicate to you 
what Paul is communicating in these two verses because I, I, I believe that if you can get a hold of these two verses, that it, it can change your life. What is Paul trying to say here? Well, let, let me let me read them again, and then we'll we'll talk about them. Verse nine. <coughs> For we are labors together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. You get that? You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builder uh, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. Now, let me let me talk a little bit here. Most of you know that I spent many years of my life in construction. And. We do not build like they did back then, today. We, we, our construction um, practices and, and so on and so forth are, are I, I believe, far superior to ancient buildings. <clears throat> Although they built some incredible buildings that are still standing. Um, but in, in our thinking today, th- those of you that know anything about construction, know that the word foundation usually implies that the foundation is the basic footprint of the building. So there is a foundation around the entire perimeter of the building. Is that the, okay, is that the picture you guys have? Okay, well take that picture, wad it up, throw it out. Because that's not what this is talking about. Okay, in those days, when they built a building, they had a completely different system of foundation work. What they would do is they would go to a particular corner of a building. They would, in the in the when they drew up their plans, I'm sure they had plans. <clears throat> they would draw up their plans. They would find what is considered the most important corner of the building. And they would place, they would dig, they would dig the ground, and they would they would get a perfectly level section of ground. And then they would set in place something called the cornerstone. And it was that cornerstone, that cornerstone, a a master mason would make that cornerstone perfectly flat and parallel in every way. It was absolutely perfect. I have a picture for you. Okay. Now, this is obviously an uh, an artist's rendering of what a, a cornerstone would look like. But normally, it would look different than all of the rest of the stone. If you were to be able to go back to like ancient Rome and look at buildings, you can almost always identify the cornerstone 
because it's, it's different than every other stone. It's perfect in every dimension, in every way. And when they would set that cornerstone, every, every aspect of that building would refer back to that stone. The, the vertical line, the horizontal lines, everything rested upon that stone. Everything was built referring back to that very single stone, the cornerstone. If you were to look at this verse, he says, I have laid the foundation. Paul was not talking about the entire foundation because they, they didn't have a foundation like we think of today. So what he, was he saying? He says, Paul is literally saying, I have laid the cornerstone. Now, those of you that know your Bible, what was Jesus, what was one of Jesus' names? the chief cornerstone. So, in essence, what is Paul saying when he says, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. Hey, what he's saying is this, very simply, I have given you Jesus Christ. Now it's up to you to build your life on Him. Then what does He say? But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. You see the incredible picture that Paul's given us here? Take heed. That's a warning, by the way. Paul's saying, hey, you need to be careful how you build your life on Jesus Christ. He, he said, hey, Paulus and I, we, we gave you Jesus Christ. We gave you the chief cornerstone. Now it's up to you to continue to build your life on him. Be careful how you do it. Be careful how you do it. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I laid in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. You see how the foundation and the stone work together. The foundation is not the system like we would think. It is the foundation. It is the cornerstone. He that believeth shall not make haste. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief, the, 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 the corner, the chief cornerstone. In essence, 
Paul is giving us an incredible word picture of the importance of Jesus Christ in our lives. He continues in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple of God, in whom ye are in whom ye also are built together for habitation of God through the Spirit. This, this idea of being fitly framed together. Houses today are not fitly framed together. They are framed, but they are not fitly framed. Do you, do you have any idea what the word fitly means? Precisely. In other words, what, what the fitly framed in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 21, what it means is this. A building that is fitly framed together fits together so well and so precisely that you don't even need a single nail to hold it together. And when a house or a life is fitly framed upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, we have a house that will stand against any storm. But what happens if we do not fitly frame when the storms of life come? The house will fall. Go back to the, to the, to the, to the, the story that Jesus gives us of building our house upon the, the sand. Paul gives us an incredible word picture here. And the vision of striving together starts with finding common ground, working together to overcome personality conflicts. And instead of competing with each other, we are competing, <clears throat> excuse me, against each other, we are competing with each other. We are complementing each other instead of causing conflict. That is the idea of striving together. That is the idea of coming together, working on that common ground, working on those horizontal relationships, and then finding support, working on that vertical relationship with Jesus. So that when we, Paul says here again, I have laid the foundation. I've given you Jesus Christ and another <clears throat> buildeth thereon, thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. What, is, what does your life look like? If you were to step back and take a look at your life as a, as a building, would it be fitly framed together? I was going to give an illustration about I saw somebody building something and I probably shouldn't do that because it was like, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, not good. <laughs> what, is your, what, is, what does your house look like? Is your house built on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Does it fitly frame together? Or is it just a wreck? 
I can't answer that question. Because in a practical sense, in a very practical sense, as a contractor, I know this. I have, I have been in homes, magnificent looking homes on the outside. But I wouldn't live in that house to save my life. I wouldn't let my dog live in that house. Because structurally, it's scary. I was in a house. I'll tell you the story and then I'll be done. I was in a house one time. Beautiful house. Four-story house. Right on the water in Charleston, it was just this beautiful house. Had an elevator that went up to the first floor because it was so close to the water they couldn't. There was, you know, they, the house was built on stilts, and it's and it's four stories on top of that. And we were on the first the first main floor, huge room, huge room, living room, kitchen, everything, and and. and <clears throat> Me and, me and another contractor were in there. We're kind of spying out the competition. And we're, we're standing in this, and we're, we're looking at the, the, the framing pattern that had taken place, the flooring of the second floor. And it had all come to a single point in the, kind of in the middle of this huge room. And there are Right where it all comes again, there were two two by fours holding it all together. I, I I looked at I looked at him. He looked at me, and we're like, we need to go. But then I said, no, come on, let's let's go a little deeper. So we actually made it to the next floor. And again, there's just another huge room. I don't, I don't, you know, it was just in the framing station. We don't know what it was going to be. But it overlooked the water, just beautiful view. But you walk through this room, and, and the whole floor just every step. We're like, okay, we're, we're out of here. I mean, it was scary. What does is, what is your house look like? Not, not on the outside, but on the inside. What's your house look like? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, you have been so good to us, so kind and so gracious. And Lord, as we bring our service to an end, a conclusion, I ask that you would challenge our thinking this morning How, how are we as a church doing on that horizontal relationship? How are we as individuals doing on the vertical relationship? Paul here very, very clearly, very beautifully paints us an incredible word picture. Helping us to see our need. not only of unity within the church, but unity in our growth. Building our homes, our, our lives, fitly framed together.
God, help us. Help us, dear God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me, let me, let me just challenge you just very, very simply with two questions this morning. Number one, do you know the chief cornerstone? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior this morning? If you don't, let me encourage you, don't leave here not knowing Jesus Christ. Is there anybody who would say, Pastor, would you pray for me that I might know Christ? I need to know Christ. Is there anybody who say, Pastor, would you pray for me? If that's you, just lift your hand and I'll see you and I'll pray for you. Christian, what does your home look like? I'm not talking about what's, what it looks like on the outside because that's not what is important. What does it look like on the inside? How is it built? Is there anybody who say, Pastor, God has spoken in my heart this morning. Would you pray for me? If that's you, just lift your hand. Amen. Could be anything. Could be anything. God's working in your heart and life. Amen. Anybody else say, Pastor, would you pray for me that God continue to do a work in my life? Amen. Lord, you know our hearts. You know the struggle that each of us struggles with every day. Some of us are in the midst of some very, very difficult times right now. And Lord, I just ask that you would do a mighty work. That you would strengthen us, that you would encourage us, and that you would help each and every one of us to be more like you in everything that we say and do. Speak to our hearts. Encourage us. Help us to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray.